So, yo, from the beginning of the time where our church started, our goal was, like, never to just do church better than other people. Like, we weren't trying to get Christians from other churches. Our heart, our goal was to find people like who I was when I was in college, someone who might have been far from God, but they were close to all of us. So we really had a heart for that, which meant that we've had some very interesting people breeze through our doors. Um, I remember when we first started service, one of our best volunteers who was helping with setup, uh, it really was a good Sunday if she didn't drop an F-bomb. Like in the, middle of the, in the middle of the auditorium, like, no, that's not the way you wrap the wires. Like, whoa, okay. Um, and it was always interesting, <laughs> to say the very least, Uh, One, I really truly do appreciate the fact that Renaissance has people who trust me enough and trust Renaissance enough to invite people who are not church people here. And some of y'all are not church people, and we love and thank God that you you all are here. You keep us from being stale. But it was a little bit unnerving for people, because if you grew up around church a little bit, like you know that there's some things you just don't do in the Lord's house. (laughs) And that is one of those things. Now, I think if you were to look at the scripture writers and what they say about God's temple, they would tell you that, yes, there are some things you should never do in God's temple, but they wouldn't say a building was God's temple. They would say, this building, this brick and mortar, that church down the block with a steeple on top, this room right now, no, that's not God's temple. God's temple is you. And a lot of the dysfunction that we tolerate in ourselves but yet we wouldn't tolerate it in a building, is antithetical to what the the scripture teaches about God's temple. When the Bible talks about a holy space, it's not talking about a building, it's talking about you and it's talking about me. One of the most profound and mysterious truths about the Bible is that it says that when anybody places their faith in Jesus, it doesn't happen when you're born, but rather when you're born again, when you place your faith in Jesus, God's spirit takes up residence inside of you. And you now, not a building, or God's temple. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. He says, don't you yourselves know that you, you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy. And that is what you are. So we are uh, a couple weeks into our series on embodied connecting our faith and our bodies. And we've been looking at a series of scriptures that talk about our bodies. And today we're looking at a scripture that talks about our bodies are temples. Now, if you grew up in church a little bit, you might have heard this before. And many of you might even agree with this, right? I grew up in a church tradition where they talked about your body is a temple all the time. It's mainly how they try to shame you to not get a tattoo. It was like, you can't get a tattoo because your body is God's temple. Uh, If you have a problem with that, email Lester at Renaissance NYC. (laughs) But for the rest of us, many of us have heard the concept, but it's like a really profound thing if you think about it, that you, you are carrying around inside of you right now the Holy Spirit. You are a temple of God. Now, for a lot of us, we have that belief theologically or doctrinally, but we don't have it functionally. A lot of us have what are called doctrinal beliefs. These are beliefs that we think about in our heads. So if somebody was a pastor around a survey, you could check the box and say, yes, I agree with that. I'm God's temple. But then rather, there's also functional beliefs. Functional beliefs are the things that we actually live out. 
if you were a part of our church over the summer and during our James series, and you would know that really what you think about in your head that's disconnected from the way you live really doesn't matter at all. We're not after your doctrinal beliefs today. We're actually your func- we're after your functional beliefs. What are you living out? Here's what James says in James 2:14 through 17. He says, "What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks his daily food, and one of you says to them, 'Go in peace, stay warm, be well fed,' but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. So James challenges us to live out the things that we say we believe. And Paul presents to us today in 1 Corinthians a really profound truth that I hope to land the plane in a way that makes sense to us that our bodies are temples. So when Paul was preaching this sermon, Paul writes this letter, he writes this letter and he was writing it to a group of people Uh, in Corinth. And Corinth was a a major city in ancient Rome, and they had a lot of temples. They had the temple of Apollo, and they they would have understood implicitly what a temple was. They would have walked past temples and spent their entire life walking up and down temples. They would have understood his letter uh, very quickly, but we ourselves, we don't live in a a culture that really has temples going on uh, around us. We have houses of worship where people come together and congregate, but we don't have temples. So Paul is basically saying a number of things by telling them that their body was a temple, things that I want to raise to our consciousness right now. The first thing that is very explicit in these verses is that if your body is a temple, then it's holy. Verse 16 and 17, Paul says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple and that the spirit of God lives in you? For God's temple is holy. And that is what you are. Now, that's a difficult word because holiness is one of the most misunderstood words in the Bible. Uh, holy, holiness primarily means one thing. It means set apart for a particular use. It's set apart for a particular use. It doesn't mean it's better than something else. It doesn't mean it's prettier than something else. It doesn't mean it looks down on everything else. It just means that this thing is set apart for a specific use. So don't touch that pot because that pot is for set for a specific use. And this is what holiness is. But yeah, when I was first in college, um, I started going to a church and they preached holiness every single week. And for them, holiness meant separating yourself from anything and anyone that wasn't as good as you were. The problem with that is they were holier than Jesus. Because Jesus had no equivalent to his holiness, and yet Jesus was always around people. Jesus never separated himself from the people who were beneath him. He could have. If there's ever any one person who could have looked down his nose at people, it was Jesus, and he never did that. Why is that? Because holiness is not about you looking your nose down on other people who aren't as good as you think you are, but rather it's that you see your life as being set apart for a specific purpose. And check this out. This is what disgusted Uh, the religious rulers about Jesus. There's so many different times in scripture where Jesus is just vibing out and relaxing with tax collectors and sinners. Um, And that disgusted religious people because they thought that they were better than everyone else. And if you understand the word holiness to mean that you are better than other people, you have misunderstood the concept of holiness. Holiness means that your life is meant to be set apart for a specific use. 
specifically your life used for the glory of God. One of my favorite scriptures, you've heard it before, Luke 15. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to Jesus. Think about that. This is how warm Jesus was. This is how inviting Jesus was. That all of the people who were outcasts were on their own, um, on their own intuition, intentionally going t- to him to listen to him. But listen, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them? So he told them a parable. What man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together saying to them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you the same way. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, the mistake about approaching holiness the wrong way is that you'll always be running away from something and never toward anything. When Scripture calls us to be holy, it means that you consider your life, your day, your moments, your body as having a specific purpose, that your body is meant to be used to glorify God and to bless people. It means it's set apart. So a lot of you know my story. My wife and I are both widowed. Uh, we were both married in our 20s and widowed in our 20s. And for my, um, when I, when I, before I got married the first time, I went all out. And I saved up as much money as I could. And I was stuffing money, you know, in shoeboxes to save up for this ring. And uh, one Friday night, I was headed to Don Coqui to eat some chicharrones and propose to my late wife. And I'll never forget how I felt that day with this, like, ring in my pocket. Like, before I even put the jeans on, I, like, turned them inside out. I was looking at the seams in the pocket. <laughs> that pocket was now transported to be, the mo- to be carrying the most important thing that I have ever carried. And that day, like, I was walking, I was walking like this, just walking around everybody. <laughs> I wouldn't let anybody get near me because I had something special in my pocket. I had something that was going to change my life. Scripture says... The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Why would we walk around flimsy, acting like as if there's nothing good inside of us? The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. God wants to encounter other people through you. There's a scripture that says that our lives are living epistles being read by all people, which means that some people will never read a Bible. They'll never crack open the pages of scripture, but they're looking at your life. And that God wants to encounter people through you at your job tomorrow. One of my, our pastor Brandon, he's, you know, very passionate about faith and work, and he just wrote a blog about um, really, like, living out your faith at work, and he said there's two things, and we'll hopefully put a link to it, two things that will really bless you uh, at your job to live out your faith at work, not to Jesus juke nobody, but one, to do your work excellently. Like, nobody will ever come to you about anything if you're lazy, like that's just, if you're the person who's just mailing it in every single day, nobody's ever going to come to you uh, to ask you about your faith. Number two, that you actually live out your convictions, really. Like you're, you do your work excellently and you live out your convictions, your convictions privately and with integrity. And if you do that, there will be opportunities for you to live out your faith and work. And there are some people that God wants to encounter through you, but we're too busy, we're so distracted by everything else. Now check this out. The most important thing about living on purpose, living with a goal, 
living with the knowledge that you and I are set apart for the Lord's use, that alone will keep you from being distracted. Think about it like this. Imagine that tomorrow morning you are about to have a client meeting or a job interview or a rehearsal or an audition that is going to change your life. Like, this is the biggest client meeting, this is the biggest audition, this is the biggest job interview of your life, but it's at six o'clock in the morning, and it's in Co-op City in the Bronx. <laughs> you would go to that interview, and guess what? Tonight, when your friends text you and say, hey, you want to hang out tonight? You'd be like, nope, I'm not going out tonight. I have this job interview, I got to wake up at four, I'm going to be in the boonies and the BX tomorrow, and I have to get up and do it. It's not because you have willpower that will make you go to sleep early on time. It's not your willpower that's going to wake you up in the morning. It's your goal. Your goal will clarify your actions. If we see ourselves as, if our goal is to be set apart for the Lord's use, it will change your actions. Instead of trying to make our actions uh, lead the way for us. So if you and I really truly believe that we are carrying the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, that we are temples, we are the temples of God, that God has set us apart for a purpose then that would give us a different goal and a different outlook on life. And also, if this is true, then that means that you and I, we should care for our bodies like we have the presence of God within us. And that doesn't mean that we would go around and do any and everything. Scripture is saying something that's really, really profound. Um, you know, one of the things that <laughs> this past couple of weeks has been a blessing, uh, my wife's cousin moved in with us from, from Jamaica, and she's getting her MBA right now, and it's been like a great couple of months she loves our sons. Our sons love her. We just be leaving the house like, all right, praise God. <laughs> and, um, but it's interesting because the room that she's staying in now, like they used to have a closet in that room that was like Chernobyl. It was like what, we would just put stuff in that closet and just like cl close the door as quickly as we could. And there's so much clutter and craziness in that closet that we've tolerated for eight years because we kind of got used to our own dysfunction. But once somebody else moved in, we knew that it would grieve them to live in a place with that much dysfunction. So we cleaned it up. Not because we wanted to, not because we had the desire to, but because we knew that it would frustrate the purpose of the person who was residing with us now to have that closet looking that crazy. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life for everybody who has placed their faith in Christ. And the command in Scripture is not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says this, No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God forgave you in Christ. How different would your day look tomorrow if you were convinced by this truth, not just doctrinally, but functionally, that the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life? How much dysfunction, which you are, which you are probably currently tolerating, would you want to clear out and declutter? God has taken up residence in us, and that's a profound truth that Paul is telling us in the Scripture. Number two, uh, if our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, then that also means that our bodies are where sacrifices are made. So the Old Testament and their temple system, and certainly in Corinth and all the temples that they had going on, like if you walked past a temple, it would be loud and it would smell terrible. 
because there were like live animal sacrifices happening. Temples were where sacrifices were made. So when Paul says that your body is a temple, he's saying that your body, your life is where the sacrifices are made. Here's what it says in Romans 12 and 1. It says this, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, first and foremost, Paul says that the basis for which you would see your life as a sacrifice is not based on your determination, but rather in view of God's mercy. You know, 3,000 years ago, the first bridge was built in Greece, and bridges have a way of connecting two things which were previously separated. Long before that bridge was built in Greece 3,000 years ago, people have been trying to bridge the gap between themselves and God through religion. And in every single religion in the history of humankind, you have bridges that humans are trying to build. They dress a certain way. They sing these songs. They read these texts. They do all of these things to try to get closer to the God that they know is so distant from them. But the gospel is much different. The gospel says that it doesn't start on our end. It says that it started on Jesus' end, that God came down. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with flesh. The word was with God, and the word was God. And, the, and God made his appearance and dwelled among us. God came down from eternity into our finite times, and Jesus, not ourselves, started the bridge on his end to build the bridge towards us. And that bridge led Jesus to the cross where he would be crucified for our sins. That is the mercy that Paul is talking about in Romans 12. And in view of that mercy, a God who came down from eternity to go to the cross in the person of Jesus for your sins, as Scripture says in Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In view of that mercy, the only reasonable response is to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, there are different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. One was um, a sin offering. Sin offerings were where somebody would come and make an offering based on the wrong that they have committed. What Paul is talking about here is not a sin offering. Our sin offering was Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain on our behalf. Rather, Paul is talking about a burnt offering. Now, this is what a burnt offering was at a temple. A burnt offering uh, had to be like the most perfect and choice animal from your flock, the strongest one without blemish. And the burnt offering was brought to the temple and offered as a way of showing someone's absolute commitment to God, as if to say, everything I have is yours with no reservations. It was an expression of passion. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 12 and 1. To offer your body as a living sacrifice is to offer the best of what you have, the best of your time, the best of your energy with no reservations. And he puts it in this paradoxical term. Now, to be perfectly candid, certainly I cannot even count how many times I have not given God my best. Right? I start off the day with the intention to read Scripture, to spend a lot of time in Scripture and in prayer. And before I know it, my brain is so scattered that I, I, I get to noon and I already know that I haven't given God my best. I haven't protected that time like I know I should. If I'm being perfectly honest, as a pastor, um, I don't know that I've called our church, particularly our members, to make sure that you are giving God your best. So many of us are giving God our, our leftovers. If I have time, then I'll do that. If I have energy, then I'll serve. Instead of seeing our lives as meant to be sacrifices 
in view of God's mercy, the only reasonable response I can have to God's mercy is to literally give God my best. So today we're here on this Partner Sunday. There are these amazing organizations that are giving their, uh, where people give their time, their energy, their lives to help people. We have Bowery Mission. We have Hope for New York. We have International Justice Mission. We have Pray March Act. We have the School Restore, um, Young Life and Young Lives, and so many other organizations that you can learn about in the lobby. And here's my fear for you, that you see and you use the best of your energy and your time for yourself. You know, so much of what I've come to learn over the years is the American version of Christianity is how can I get the best life that I have for myself? That's not biblical. Biblical Christianity is how can I give the best of my life for God? Now, I don't want anybody to be burnt into the ground. Self-care is real, right? It's a very real thing. This, we have some volunteers who work so hard, and, I'm a conf- and I am afraid of them like being exhausted because they are giving so much of their time and their energy, but that's not 99% of us. So many of us, we're giving God our leftovers. We're giving God our leftovers in a way that we live our lives, that if I feel like doing something, I will do it. And God is just calling us higher. If your body is a temple, that is where sacrifices are made, and God is calling us to live as a living sacrifice. You know, it's so much that Jesus says this in Luke 9, 23 and 24. It's a scripture that I memorized years ago, and it's something that I've, has challenged me in every single phase of my Christian life, Jesus says this, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Ouch. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will save it. Self-denial is the most painful thing. It feels like sacrifice. It feels like death. To say to God, you know that prayer in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done? Every time I say that, I cringe on the inside. I'm like, you're going to come here, we'll be done. Uh, I just say it fast. I don't want God's kingdom. I want my kingdom. I don't want God's will. If we're honest, I don't want God's will. I don't even know what God's will is. Why would I want that? I don't know what it is. I want my will. My will looks great. In view of the mercy of God, the God who has proven to you, who has demonstrated to you, his faithfulness, his love, his fidelity to you by giving us Jesus when you didn't deserve it, when I didn't deserve it. He's calling us in turn to live our lives as a sacrifice that we wouldn't let anything, particularly our comfort, get in the way of serving him. You know, there's a a dope story in um, Acts 16. Uh, So there's a story about a guy named Paul. And Paul was a preacher. He wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Paul had someone uh, who was like a son to him in the ministry, a kid named Timothy. Timothy's parents were, uh, his mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek, which meant that when he was first born, he wasn't circumcised. Now, normally that doesn't matter for like health reasons, 2022, but in early days, that was like a big deal to Jewish people, whether or not you were circumcised. Paul is taking his son in the ministry, Timothy, alongside him on a trip to talk to these Jewish people about Jesus, but Paul has his revelation. He's like, yo, buddy, they're not going to receive what you're saying unless you get circumcised. So, it's your time. Paul had Timothy circumcised so that nothing would get in the way of the mission. Here's what I know to be true about that. That's emphatically true from this story. God's will for your life is outside of your comfort zone. He's not calling everybody to have a medical procedure without anesthesia. (laughs) But he is calling you to leave your comfort zone. My fear is that so many of us will respond to that saying, I'm not doing that. It doesn't feel good. It's not comfortable. I don't want to do that. 
And in turn, we miss out on what God is trying to do through us. God wants to bless people through you, but it's going to require you live your life as a sacrifice. Third point is uh, our bodies are, if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, then our bodies are holy. We're set apart for a purpose. Our bodies are where sacrifices are made. We're called to give God our best, not our leftovers. And our bodies are also where we encounter God. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then that means that you do not need to wait until Sunday to encounter God. You can encounter God at home by yourself. If it's true that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you, for everybody who has placed their faith in Jesus, then that means you don't have to wait until Sunday. Anniversary services are amazing. Christmas service coming up that we're already starting to plan for is going to be bananas. When the choir's here and the singers, and we got so many different things planned, and I'll keep it all the way live, I do feel like I can connect with God in profound ways when I'm here at a service. And make no mistake about it, the Bible does tell us that there is something special about coming together. In Hebrews, it says, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Like, it's a good thing to be here, that God wants us to be here to learn, to be taught, to worship together, to see people. Um, but it, I think we have an overemphasis on, us, on Sundays. That Sunday is where you have to come to listen to a preacher to hear from God. And that's not the case. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, not a bootleg version, if you have the real Holy Spirit inside of you, then the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you into all truth. You don't need an explosive service, but you do need to make sure you are carving out intentional, quiet, silent time to hear from God through meditating on scripture, through prayer, and by giving God space to show up in your life. There's a, one of my favorite scriptures in 1 Kings 19. It's a scripture about a man named Elijah, and Elijah is a prophet, and Elijah is praying to God, praying to hear from God. So Elijah's praying, and God says, I'm going to... I'm going to uh, speak to you, Elijah. So Elijah goes out and he stands on a mountain waiting for God's presence. And at this moment, there's this great and there's this mighty wind that was tearing the mountains and shattering the cliffs before the Lord. And scripture says the Lord was not in those winds. Right after those winds, there was this huge earthquake. And scripture says the Lord was not in that earthquake. Right after the earthquake, there was this giant fire. And scripture says the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And it says, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. A lot of times we're looking for something really explosive to happen. We're looking for the building to shake. We're looking for something out of this world to happen in order for us to feel like we can connect with God. And God is saying, I'm here in the still small voice. If you would have just carved out 20 minutes in your, in your apartment, you could have encountered me. So don't wait for the wind. Don't wait for the mountains to quake. You can have that, in, you can have that on two-fifths. You can have it with you. If the Holy Spirit is inside of you, then that means God wants us carving out intentional time to make sure that we can hear him, and we can hear him best when we're quiet, because God often speaks through a soft, gentle whisper. You know, one of the things that I'm extremely grateful, grateful for is uh, the last couple of years we've been working and doing a lot of stuff with emotionally healthy spirituality. And I've, in the last couple of years, learned from so many other streams of Christianity that I was formerly ignorant of. Uh, I kind of gr- was trained in a theological school. It was like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, right? It was just like all Bible reading. And again, I love the Bible, but, but there wasn't enough time to sit and to process and to just be still and quiet and listen to and wait for God. So many scriptures over and over again just tell us to wait, wait for him. 
with expectancy waiting to hear from him. Here's a prayer that we're going to do right now briefly. Um, it's called the prayer of examine. And um, this is something that I want you to do this week. And we need to intentionally carve out time and space to hear God speak to us through his scripture and to meet us exactly where we are. So the first step is to prepare your heart and mind. And we do that by centering ourselves and allowing ourselves to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to do something right now. It's going to feel like an eternity. We're going to have one minute of, of silence where we are just centering ourselves. While you're centering yourself, you can say the scripture, 1 Corinthians 3. You can say it silently to yourself. I am God's temple that, and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I am God's spirit and the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So prepare your heart and mind right now for one minute. The second stage is to review your day with gratitude, to think back through your day, paying attention to your joys and your delights. Think about the people you interacted with, thanking God for the little pleasures that the things that he's given you. next one is so big, it's to pay attention to your emotions. At what points today or this week where God, I mean, I just felt strong about something. Maybe I was really, really nervous about a client meeting or I was really anxious. Maybe I was just really frustrated with someone and judgmental of them. What is God telling you right now through your feelings? How is God coming to you? Is God inviting you to trust him more? Is God inviting you to confess your judgmental uh, spirit? Is God inviting you to trust him, to ask him for strength, to live with more integrity? Pay attention to your emotions, the times where you felt guilt or uh, anger or something else. And we're going to pray over that right now. You can pray silently to yourself. What's one thing that stood out to you the most, positive or negative? And to lift up a prayer of gratitude or intercession, praying for someone else, repentance, whatever that is. How is God coming to you right now? Is God inviting you to be more grateful for the things in your life that you are overlooking? Is God inviting you, instead of complaining about someone else, to pray for them? Is God inviting you to repent for something that you're doing, how you've grieved the Holy Spirit?
And the last part is to pray for tomorrow. And normally this prayer is done at night. You can do this at night. Um, parents of kids, I would recommend after your kids go to bed. And asking God to guide you through tomorrow's challenges and turning your anxieties over to him and pray for hope. So, Father, I pray for this week for my brothers and my sisters. I pray that they would carve out time to meet with you. And, Lord, I pray that they would have an expectancy to hear from you, to be comforted by you, to be challenged by you, to be led by you. Lord, I pray for the strength for all of us to live our lives as sacrifices, not living for ourselves, but living for you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.